Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Kodiak Shack Kodiak Shack podcast. Uh, we have Ahmed here from uh, Built. And uh, so he's the president and COO from Built Incorporated, which we'll talk what that means. He's a commissioned officer in the Navy and did a little time with the Army. And then he's also been an adjunct professor of uh, Middle Eastern studies back in the day. Uh, so he sounds like he's lived around the world. He's going to tell us about that and uh, just some of his experiences in the innovation world, but also as someone who served. And now a word from our sponsor. Crowdbotics Defense is a data analytics software company serving the United States Air Force. They make it easy for active duty servicemen and women to turn their ideas into products and tag team DOD adoption. If you or someone you know has an idea for how tech can speed up your team, increase efficiency, or make your life easier, reach out to Crowdbotics Defense to talk it through. Crowdbotics Defense will help you to find your project scope, timeline, and cost, and work with you to secure the budget you need to build it. Any product built and adopted by DoD will be credited to you as a collaborator. Reach out to Julian at Crowdbotics.com for help. That's Julian, J-U-L-I-A-N at Crowdbotics, C-R-O-W-D. B-O-T-I-C-S dot com. Also, there will be a link in the show notes. Everybody I talk to in the DOD sees inefficiencies that could be streamlined or rectified with the hard work of software engineers and people in the United States Air Force. So work with Crowdbotics Defense to make a product that you are proud of and you're happy to work with. In the Navy. So Ahmed, thanks for being here. Uh, go ahead and tell us about yourself. Well, thanks for having me on your uh, podcast. Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure and honor, and I love talking with other veterans. Uh, and especially, I love to talk about innovation in the, the DOD space. Um, Invader, I have to also say to begin, I, I, I never thought I'd ever have a conversation and, and call someone Vader. I, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a kid in the 70s who remembers seeing the first uh, Star Wars in 1977. And uh, you know, so anyway, uh, Vader, it's uh, it's a pleasure to 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 meet you, and uh, and thanks for having me on your show. Um, yeah, happy to have you. Uh, well, it it it's you know my journey in business, military, and in the innovation space is uh, it it's been fun. Uh, it's been great. I've been very blessed to have had just some incredible experiences uh, along the way. Um, I'm uh, in the military side of things. I, I just hit my 30 year mark and uh, I started out in the Army National Guard. Um, I was at Brigham Young University. I was in ROTC and I had joined the National Guard there. And back in the day, uh, I thought I was going to be a commissioned uh, officer and serve active duty. And well, it, I just looked at the tea leaves and I was going to be commissioning uh, right during the Clinton drawdown. And uh, for those of you who can remember that, it was it was it was tight. It was uh, I still remember our one of our senior army instructors uh, sat me down and he said, well, you're not going to be able to go do the job you wanted to do, but you can go do all these other jobs, which didn't really sound exciting to me. And uh, so I, I, I just decided not to do ROTC. I dropped it. I stayed in the Army National Guard doing a job I really loved and. I decided to graduate a little bit early. Um, from there, I had the opportunity to go to the University of Jordan in Amman uh, uh, as part of the Fulbright program. 
And for those of you who know about that program, it's it's a really great program. It allows you to go overseas for a time uh, and uh, experience a different culture. Uh, I was studying Arabic at the University of Jordan and interned in the Jordanian Parliament. And it was just a it was just a unique experience. I was you know married. Uh, my daughter was two months. And, our parents thought we were insane. What are you doing, bringing your two-month-old baby <laughs> over to Amman, Jordan? And we're like, it's fine here. Don't don't worry. Um, it was it was right on the cusp of the internet, right? Just taking off, and email was new, and so some of the communications we abilities we have today just they weren't quite there yet. So uh, uh, it was uh, it was interesting, but I had a great experience there. And out of that, I decided I needed to. Um, expand my Middle East studies uh, education uh, into business. And so I ended up applying and going to the Thunderbird School of Global Management in Arizona. And great Air Force history, Army Air Corps history behind that face. It was one of the three fields where foreign allied pilots were trained during World War II in Arizona. I think it was uh, Mesa Falcon Field, I think, Scottsdale, there was a field, and then there was uh, Thunderbird Field. And so this really interesting yeah. legacy there. We still had the control towers and some of the barracks and two of the hangars were still there, integrated into the campus. So had a phenomenal experience there, um, attending Thunderbird, uh, getting an MBA in international management. And and from there, I said, you know, what am I going to, what am I going to do next? And <laughs> so uh, I started applying and interviewing for jobs while I'm at school. And I ultimately, my first job out of MBA school was with Papa John's International. And they were expanding globally. And they said to me, we need somebody who understands the language, the culture and religion of the place. Um, I also grew up in Saudi Arabia. My dad was uh, an Aramco engineer uh, for over 30 years. He raised nine kids there and I'm the oldest of the of the group. And so I spent the first 10 years there. And so I'd already had an experience of living on the ground in the region. And uh, the gentleman who interviewed me said, Hey, I'm ex army. And I know people who've been in the army can take care of themselves. You, you understand language, culture, the religion, and you have an MBA. So you understand business. You're, you're the package we're looking for. And I said, that's great. Uh, let's go. And so I spent my first year uh, going back and forth between Louisville, Kentucky and the Middle East, working with a Saudi prince who had purchased the franchise rights. Uh, I actually worked with his company. He had a, he had a company uh, that owned media uh, outlets and he wanted to diversify his holdings into something different. So they love American fast food over there. And for now, many people have deployed over there and for decades been going over there. But back then, you know, a lot of people were like, you're doing what? They like pizza over there? I said, yeah, uh, they absolutely do. So uh, for the next year, I conducted pizza operations, as I like to call it, um, <laughs> in the Middle East. And, you know, we had some learning curves culturally. We you know, had to explain to the uh, to the headquarters in Louisville, how things worked and how things were a little bit differently. And uh, we had to innovate, actually, the existing model uh, in the United States. You know, most pizza is bought, you know, 80 percent um, is ordered at home and 20 percent sit downs. I mean, think about it. When was the last time you went to a sit down pizza restaurant? I mean, it doesn't happen culturally. You know, we're going to watch a football game or soccer game and you're going to eat pizza over there at the time. It was more of a family coach sit down experience. And that was culture. And so we had to innovate the business model and we actually had to create 
sit-down restaurants. When was the last time you had a sit-down Papa John's restaurant? Well, if you go to the Middle East, you'll see them there. Because the mix is flipped on the sales. It's 80% dine-in, 20% takeout. And so, you know, again, right out of the gate, having to help my employer innovate and think differently about the marketplace and how they were going to sell um, was very, very important if they were going to be successful. Um, and shortly thereafter, I uh, got a phone call from a friend who had set up a, a company. I still remember what he said. He goes, hey, you remember that Internet thing? It's well, we created a company. It's going really well and we need some help internationally would you be willing to join us and so ultimately i joined them as their head of global business development and essentially it was a software as a service company before we used the term software as a service um uh, invest tools had a tool that they delivered via the web uh was tools for investors and you know in online investment accounts were brand new so it was an education component and there was a software as a service uh, component and that's where I started to learn about software, um, really, uh, and started to cut my teeth and understand that. Um, as a reservist, yeah, anyway, uh, so that up, that up to that point, that's kind of where I really began to learn about innovation and then, and then, and then software. Well, and that's, uh, I, I, it's, I got to spend a little time in uh, Jordan also. Mm. And, uh, you know, I did the standard, uh, went to the Dead Sea, went to Petra, you know, saw all the, all the touristy things, uh, but it was, it's, it's amazing how, how many similarities there are in kind of like countryside and just different areas. You drive around the United States, especially being in California, because there's just so many different kind of foothills and deserts and things like that. So you're actually, I drove around there. I was like, wow, some of this looks a little bit like home, you know, and uh, it was, it was beautiful. There were some really cool things to see that I saw in Jordan. And one of the things I wonder because having moved around a lot, I see, you know, if you go to a restaurant in, say, like a Chick-fil-A, you go to a Chick-fil-A in South Carolina versus a Chick-fil-A in California, the biscuits are different. I don't know why, but they're just different. They taste different. They're more buttery in the South. And I wondered right when you said now it's pizza, you know, in Saudi Arabia, what is that? Like, is that, did they have the same thing with recipes changing oh, yeah. a little bit? Did they change it a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. for instance, we we had, you know, Papa John's has the tagline, better ingredients, better pizza. And they do, they have phenomenal ingredients. I haven't worked there in years, but back then, I mean, from what I remember, you know, everything I, I saw, it was incredible food quality in comparison to the competitors. And, and, and the founder was very, very, um, uh, you know, locked and loaded on, we are not going to change quality. We're going to deliver that customer experience um, that uh, I have set out from the beginning to deliver a quality pizza. And so we had to ensure the quality of the ingredients uh, met the standards of the franchise licensing agreement that, the, that they had signed. And so our job, I worked with our commissary team to see if we could source local products that met the exact same standard or better. And we were able to do that on several things. Um, uh, you know, for example, you've heard the term halal before, I'm sure if you've been in the Middle East, you know, yeah. it's, it's very similar to the term kosher, but they, they couldn't have pork products. So I, we had to innovate and I had to tell everyone in Louisville, Kentucky that I said, hey, we can't use pork products. 
And like, okay, what are we going to use? So we had to create beef pepperoni, right? And, uh, you know, we also created chicken toppings. You know, we started doing some things that we hadn't done in the United States before. We had to tweak and innovate for the marketplace. We, but we had, to, we had to maintain enough of the core product so the brand was recognizable and people believed they were getting that same experience that if they had in the United States. Yet it had to be tweaked enough so that it also met local customs and courtesies, if you will, and, and rules. Yeah. Um, you know, you had to have a, things have changed in Saudi now, but I mean, you had a family section and you had to have a section for single men. That's so foreign, right? Yeah. To, uh, to uh, you know, the, the brand itself uh, back at headquarters. So there was, that's why I say with conducting pizza operations, you had to get smart on the culture and you had to integrate those things in. Um, and there were other things like getting uh, innovative and creative on delivery system. You know, addresses weren't a big thing. You know, it's back then, hey, the big house down the road next to the, you know, the big tree, uh, turn right there and then go down to the greenhouse on the right. And that's where Mr. So-and-so lives. Uh, that's yeah. kind of how directions were over there. And so even though there was officially you'd pull up and there was a mapping system, no one used it. So we had to get creative on how to how to do delivery. And again, these things now have been worked out by multiple fast food franchises and even local companies now. You know, people have mobile devices and, you know, we've, we've come a, a long way. But that just really where I started cutting my teeth on, on kind of the innovation and coming to invest tools, there was a similar type of adoption. Um, we had some challenges overseas and the, the way, uh, uh, you know, regulatory bodies looked at our product. You know, we had these arrows, red and green, that signaled buy, don't buy. One company would say, oh, one country would say, regulatory body would say, oh, that's advice. You need to be a registered you know, investment advisor. And we're like, oh, no, yes. we don't do anything. But <laughs> yeah. we, you know, we had to innovate again and get creative and e explain better what we were doing. Today, these things are no big deal. You know, they give these tools away for free, everybody, and uh, these financial institutions and, and, and banks. But, but again, it was, it was cutting edge back then, and it was new. Um, shortly after 9-11, uh, I was working at this company and like many people, I, I got the phone call. And by this time, I had transitioned and commissioned into the Navy Reserve. And I got a phone call. And just because of my background and skills and understanding the region, and uh, I disappeared for two years. And I deployed into the CENTCOM AOR and supported the CENTCOM AOR um, you know, for a lot of the things that happened right after 9-11. And uh, it was an honor and privilege to, to, to do that and, and to be ready uh, for our country at a time, um, you know, when, when my skills were needed, you know, I was in the guard through the, the through the nineties. Um, and it was a interesting time, right? We had Somalia, you know, we just had the Gulf war drawdown. And I remember the first time I heard someone talk about, I'm getting mobilized. I'm like, you know, he was going to Bosnia and I thought, wow, that's, that's interesting. Um, and I remember they actually asked us in my unit, they said, Hey, who, who would like to go through a, a turbo Somali course? I was a linguist at the time as well as part of part of my duty. And uh, I was like, well, you can order me to go, but I'm in school, right? So it was kind of yeah. one of those things, whereas 9-11 was a little different. Um, yeah. And uh, so it disappeared, did that for a couple of years. I came back after two, almost two years of deployment 
And um, uh, my friends had left that company I, I was in. There was, you know, there was some uh, management change that had taken place while I was gone, and they didn't, you know, they didn't kick me out while I was uh, deployed. And so we had a discussion, and I moved on. And uh, at that time, I got a call from a friend I deployed with, um, and we ended up putting together a company, believe it or not, and we created uh, some software tools that helped with data. And they kind of solved some problems we had faced while we were deployed working overseas, dealing with transliteration search. And again, we had, you know, come up with an innovative way to basically do um, searching using transliteration. Transliteration meaning not translation, but, you know, a name may be written a certain way in Chinese or Arabic, you know, a different script, but we hear it a certain way in English and we may write it 30 different ways, but it means one thing. How do you deal with that problem? And, and so a lot of our agencies, post 9-11, the watch lists, things like that, uh, people that were, you know, doing targeting and things like that, it's just, it was a real problem. So we came up with a very innovative way to solve that issue, get after the problem. And we went out to raise an A round. This is my first foray into we did, you know, we self-funded, <laughs> we set up our company, we opened our own pockets, we self-funded, me and my, my, my four partners, uh, it was four of us together, actually. And then we did a angel round, friends and family, high net worth individual round. You know, I'm, I'm learning all these terms now. Um, yeah. You know, I did, I'm starting to do my first pitches, you know, to angel investor groups. This is really before the, the explosion of the venture capital markets that we see today. I mean, this just mm-hmm. this is early 2000, you know, just after 9-11, a couple of years, you know, 03, actually 04, 05. It just wasn't that what it isn't what it is today, but it was fun. You know, I'd build building a pitch deck for the first time, you know. Uh, now my kid, my son's done that in high school and won a, you know, third at state, you know, and he's already built a, you know, you know, five-year forecast and a business plan and a 10-slide 10, 10 pitch deck. And I didn't learn that stuff till years after MBA school. But it's so really cool to see the diffusion of that kind of knowledge across the, you know, the ecosystem of, vent- of the venture capital world. Um, and it's, it's great because people have ideas and how do I do that? Well, now they have some tools uh, to be able to do that. So, so we, we were pitching and we ended up getting acquired after 18 months. And we're like, wait, no, we don't want to be acquired. We're going to be huge. Uh, we just want an A round. And we had some very wise counsel from my, 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 uh, my business partner, one of my business partners, father-in-law. He goes, boys, <laughs> he's from the South. And he said, let me, let me just explain to you what you have here. And so anyway, we did the deal and we were essentially acquired by a Homeland Security aggregator. It was a private equity group that set up a company that bought 16 companies, 16 or 17 companies. And we were one of them. And they thought we'd make a good mix for, you know, Homeland Security and kind of defense related matters. Um, and so anyway, we, we held on for a while and then they, we just decided to move on and we resold ourselves to another company um, that was doing data targeting and acquisition in the commercial space and the financial uh, uh, credit world. And they needed our tools a little, for a little different end state than we were trying to do for the government. Uh, it was more about yeah. who to send credit card invitations to. Um, it was the same problem that they were having. And so yeah. um, we ultimately sold to them. And uh, 
So it was just a great experience. So for me, I'm going through, you know, setting up a company, raising money and all the different types of rounds and how to pitch and resolve concerns. And, you know, do you sell? Do you take a little piece? Do you raise more? Just a great experience uh, being able to do that. Well, and I think it's what it, what it does for you is provides you an experience over the years that you don't get as just a full-time military person. You think a person like yourself who spent 30 years as a sometimes full-time, mainly part-time, but then you have this entire another life and this life experience that you you don't you're you can bring to your military side. And one of the things that having uh, having spent uh, 11 years, almost 12 years uh, active duty uh, is I got frustrated because exactly what you're talking about the innovation that was required because Papa John said, we're going to go to this place. We're going to understand our customer and we're going to provide for our customer in the way they need to be provided versus if you're in the military, a lot of it is, and I don't think it's, it's thought of this way, but you have a captive audience. It's not about providing for your customer because you're just all service members. It's more based on, Hey, we provide your service. You take the service uh, versus, you know, how do we do it better? So what would you say is, how, how did it shape having your outside experience with innovating even, even back before innovation was really a big thing? And then you bring that to your military side. Like, do you see that the military could have been doing better to innovate and, you know, be better at providing their service versus what they are now? And now we're innovating and it's, it's a big deal. You know, reservists, guardsmen. In all, across the different branches are, I believe, like a secret weapon for our country's military. Um, and it's because of that duality uh, in their work experience where they have, they're, they're in the military, but then they also have this experience in the private sector in so many different areas. Um, and, uh, you know, especially post 9-11 with the amount of guardsmen and reservists from across the services, the joint force that have to Lloyd, and then been infused into the problem set. I think we've seen friction at times, right? Because people come in, they're like, wait a minute, that would never fly in my civilian job. Okay, I guess yeah. I'll do it. Or if the culture is right, there's often opportunities to change things and make improvements um, where they were serving, where they were operating. And I think that has happened quite a bit over the last 20 years. Of course, that's only incremental changes. Let's be honest. Um, we're all um, very much aware of the big challenges we have today in defending the country uh, require a lot more innovation than just unit level. Let's call it unit level, squad <laughs> level innovation, uh, squadron level, you know, company level type innovation. Um, we, you know, things like that can happen if you have good leadership. But the big stuff requires a massive change. Uh, and this has been part of the discussion over the last several years um, inside the Department of Defense. Um, I was just meeting with a, a client this morning uh, and we were talking about um, the 2015 speech that Secretary Carter gave in Silicon Valley and where he talked about Silicon Valley, we, we need your help. Silicon Valley response was, we don't want to work with you. I'm paraphrasing, but, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, and, and, the, and the why. And I think that generated a conversation that hasn't stopped to the point where it's just 
we have this outpouring of discussions now where we realize it's existential for the country. We have to change. And the PPB&E process that was put in place in 19, I think, 61 by Secretary of Defense McNamara, it just doesn't work for us anymore. You know, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's easy to throw the primes under the bus, right? It's a small business. All the primes get everything. But look, they they do good stuff. I mean, they make things and and can do things that 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 part of our industrial defense base is, is important. But we know that there's tons of innovation out there in small companies, people's garages, you know, I mean, that is happening so fast that the current system doesn't have the ability to absorb that fast enough um, so that we can, you know, provide our warfighters, our men and women and, and those who serve in our defense forces with the cutting edge tools that will save lives and protect the country and protect, you know, protect our allies. Um, it's, it's, it's a challenge. So this is a, this is a great, this, this is, this is the cool environment we're in today. I think we're finally at a point where people realize things have to change. Yeah. And I think one thing I think we talked about previously, and maybe we'll, we'll get there in a bit, but it's like the, uh, the helmet. So fighter pilots and, and bomber pilots and a lot of pilots have the standard, it's called a 55 P helmet that they're running and for decades. And I was talking with, uh, uh, Joey Aurora on a previous podcast. And he said, you know, 40 years, this helmet has been like, that's all you got. And then sure enough, innovation was like, Hey, we're going to challenge this. And sh- they built a better helmet. So before we talk helmets and everything, so let's talk about what built is doing sure. kind of what the company does and, and what it's providing for the uh, warfighter. You bet. Um, uh, Built Incorporated as a company, uh, we were founded in August of 2015. Uh, but Built the Product actually had its life born inside of an innovation lab in Palo Alto. Um, and uh, my current partner, who's our CEO and chairman, uh, created the Built uh, Software as a Service mobile application uh, that we use today commercially and also uh, uh, that's being used um, and tested inside the Department of Defense right now, and so it it had it had a great birthplace, uh, a royal lineage uh, from one of the yeah. big software uh, uh, companies out there. But but it it just that was the wrong place for that product to be. It wasn't the right house, if you will, for that product to take off. So my partner was able to convince his company that say, hey, let me take this thing out and move it out of Silicon Valley and, 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 and our company, and let's move it on uh, to something, some other place where it can, it can, it can, it can um, grow and not have the constraints built up around it. In many ways, it's like the current PPB&E constraints and things that have been built up over decades that just block you so you can't innovate. Um, and you know he faced some of those same things that we're seeing today in the, in, in the defense uh, uh, in, in, uh, ecosystem, and and so once he once he came out, uh, he called me and he said, "Hey, we've known each other since we were kids. Uh, we actually both grew up together in Saudi Arabia, uh, inside the Aramco compound in Dharan, and, and uh, we've known each other since 1978. So, and we also went, you know, intermediate school together, primary school, and then junior high." 
we went to Brigham Young University together, um, and then we also did our MBAs together. So we we have a long history, wow. and you know he was one of these lucky guys who first semester had a job offer from a big Silicon Valley uh, uh, software company. We're all like, oh, and then we're all sweating it out right to the end of the end of the end of, the, end of our term to till we had our jobs. But that's he went off to there and spent 17 years learning about software and innovating and testing and just had this incredible experience. So by the time this opportunity to create built happened, um, and, and then the recognition that it wouldn't survive as an innovation in that in that environment. Um, it, it was just a great opportunity for us to be able to take it out. So in a way, we're a, we're a startup spin out. We experienced all of the, uh, you know, things that startup experiences, uh, other than we had MVP, we had our minimum viable product completed when essentially built incorporated started. And so, so that was great. It took us about a year to work the terms out with the, with the, the, the company. And then we, we were able to take the technology out. And, and, and bring it into a built incorporated. So really we've been uh, experiencing, uh, we've been really, we've been experiencing the uh, um, um, uh, commercialization of the product, if you will, since really end of 2016, beginning of 2017. And we weren't allowed to commercialize it and really sell and do a lot till then. So 2017, 2018, 2019, those were our first kind of 36 months really introducing uh, brands to the Built app. And Built essentially is a customer experience software as a service platform where we load 3D interactive digital mobile instructions onto our platform. So think of it this way. Um, remember back in the day, people would send you an email and, hey, click on this link and check out my resume on my business blog. And you would look and go, oh, that's okay, that's cool. His resume's online. And then, and then your somebody else would send you one. Hey, check out our family blog, and you'd read all about their family vacations. I remember people were just blogging and doing all this, and, and I was like, I can't keep track of all these. So along comes someone who innovates and says, Hey, let's. I'm paraphrasing the story because, but Facebook and LinkedIn, for example, LinkedIn yeah. essentially aggregates into one location resumes that are business nature, right? And then so much more, right? Because it's a network and you're connecting. Facebook in a similar way, aggregates almost these family blogs, right? You know, but so much more because you're connected and there's networking. Built is a platform and we're linking brands and consumers together in one location. And one of the things that my partner learned inside of SAP is uh, there's a fight for app real estate on your phone. So if I was to ask you, Vader, how many brands do you think are in your home? If you were just... Yeah, I'd say uh, 15, 20. Okay. Maybe more than that. Okay. Yeah. And, um, you know, having all those apps on your phone, if you had an app for every single product or brand that's in your house, uh, in addition to the ones you like that are, you know, how many apps do you think you'd have on your phone? Far too many. Yeah, too many. Yeah. And what they found yeah. was in the research that they did uh, back in Silicon Valley um, was there's a really we only use between eight to 10 apps with any regularity. After that, eh, you know, we, we've, we're deleting them. Oh, I paid for this. I don't use it. 
And it kind of hurts the brand's feelings. The brands are like, why don't you love my awesome $20, $10 million app? Why do I only have 2% engagement? Why do I have people download it once and they never use it again? Well, that's because people are overwhelmed with too many apps. And so some of the learnings that my partner had and why Built was created uh, was the brands were saying to him, we need one place where that's a, that's a better customer experience, where people can interact with all their different brands. So today, when you download the Built app, it's a free app, the brands pay for it. Uh, there's a little uh, thing there called My Stuff. And My Stuff is what that drawer at your house or that shoebox in your closet that has your warranties and your receipts and your um, instructions, booklets that you're like, oh, I really don't want to hold on to this, but I have to. I might need it, right? Built now becomes that digital filing cabinet that has all that. Your warranties there. Your instructions are always up to date because they're cloud hosted. And you can upload your receipt. You can register your product and you have a connection now back to the brand. And our goal is not to make you obsessed and sit there and you know be addicted to the app. You just know that when you needed it, you used it, and you know when you need it later, it's stored there. So it's the 3D interactive digital instructions allow you to zoom in, zoom out, um, and it's just a far better experience than flat 2D paper instructions. Well, yeah, and I, uh, because that's how, you know, your warranties or or anything like that work. Like, I don't want them, I don't want to see them you know, until I need them. And hopefully I don't That's need right. them. That's right. But, uh, but it's like Wi-Fi, you know, the moment the Wi-Fi is down, you're like, what's the problem with the internet? Exactly. You know, you just take it for granted. So it's kind of nice that something does exist there. Well, uh, cause I was, I would do my homework. My mom will be proud to know that I'm finally doing my homework, <laughs> but uh, I was looking into the 3d interactive maps and I was like, I need, if it exists already for Ikea, I'm going to be kicking myself, but I need Ikea to have this because I've built so much Ikea stuff on their paper directions. And I was like, oh, this is a nightmare. Uh, so yeah, so the 3D directions were were mind-blowing. And this is, like, military members are using this for um, tech orders and all that kind of stuff, right? So I'll tell you, um, let me let me segue into, so obviously we have, uh, we 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 have we started out in the commercial space. Uh, we're we're a best in class, award winning commercial tech. We have millions of users around the world in well over 150 countries. Uh, it's a great platform. It's a great product, great service, and we continue to add commercial brands uh, all the time. Um, and so going back to um, you know SecDef Carter. Uh, you know, telling Silicon Valley, we, we just, you know, we need your help. And Silicon Valley said, well, we don't want to work with you. Um, th- some changes began. And, and uh, you know, you'll recall DIUX, Defense Innovation Unit Experimental, was stood up. Handful of reservists. There was a reserve uh, admiral, Navy uh, SEAL, who was put in charge of that. Um, I had a reservist that I worked with that also was there on orders. And so, they stood it up and they began meeting with companies and listening, listening. And that feedback, you know, was taken and they began to adjust. And um, ultimately today they dropped the X and Defense Innovation Unit is part of the defense uh, ecosystem for innovation. And they do some things. And, uh, you know, they haven't perfected everything. Uh, uh, Mr. Brown, the head of it, just, um, you know, is no longer the head of it. And he was pretty blunt and the challenges he saw 
that he faced, which I think is good. You know, let him let him tell everyone, you know, what, what was good and what's still a challenge. We, we got we got ways to go still. Um, and the Air Force stood up AFWERX and I think it was 2017. And um, and then the Navy has Naval X and, you know, um, and the, you know, there's Army Futures Command and the reserves, the 75th Innovation Unit. Um, so there's some really cool things happening right now. Um, for us, and I'll tell you, in 2019, I think it was October 2019, uh, Love LinkedIn, uh, somebody in my network <laughs> posted, and I'm paraphrasing now, um, I try to remember from memory, uh, I have a 96 or 97% win rate in helping companies get AppWork Cyber Phase 1's message me if you want to know how. <laughs> it was yeah. something like that. And I'd always told my business partner, we don't ever want to do federal. It's horrific. I have to hire a capture manager. And then we got to do it. It's a, a BD person. We need a lawyer who understands FAR, DFAR. We're going to have to sign up a teaming agreement, spend all this time with the primes. We're going to have to go into at the time, you know, FedBizOps or SAM.gov. And we're going to you know, look for opportunities. But then we see them there. They're already pre-baked. You know, they're just dangling them out there. Anyway, I said that whole nonsense that is part of the you know, the challenge we we have for bringing innovation to the system, that's not worth our time as a startup. Let's not do it. I, I played that game before. Just not do it. Um, but I said, I, I said to him, I said, there's something different about this. And I did a little research. So I messaged uh, 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 this gentleman and, uh, and we got on the phone and he talked me through what's different. And something resonated with me that the Air Force was doing. I said, you know what? Okay, interesting. He explained what a commercial solution opening was. What an innovative use of the Cyber program that instead of having tightly defined right and left limits in a requirement, right, that yeah. you now have something called a commercial solution opening where we flip the paradigm from here's what we want inside the DoD to we know there's really cool stuff out there. And we probably need it, but we don't know what it is. So let's do some fishing. Let's give a company a $50,000 Cyber Phase 1 that also that is a real contract. And people sometimes refer to them as grant money and things like that. Actually, it's a contract. It's an actual contract. that, And it gives you a sole source justification to be able to then engage uh, with other units across the federal government. And, and you know, these things were all explained to me. And I and and the, this gentleman who was helping us said, um, I think I think there'll be a general interest in what Built has as an award-winning commercial technology used by Home Depot private label brands and all these other Weber Stevens Grills and all these other national brand names. I think there's a use case for it. So I said, great. So I applied. Um, at the same time as I, I applied, and I'm waiting to hear if we're going to be granted the phase one. I attend the DOD Logistics Symposium in Spokane, Washington. And there I met a squadron commander who was basically his unit uh, based at a hill, Air Force Base. Their job was to create training and innovation and uh, technologies that help um, the MAGCOMs that they were assigned to support. And I showed him Bill. And he goes, this is pretty cool. And over the course of a couple of days, we talked quite a few times. And he said, look, I have requirements for this stuff. I don't have the money and I don't have the resources. Um, if you 
when you're phase one, I'll go to phase two with you. I'll sign your MOU. And so that was great. I said, wonderful. I said, I'll let you know. And so I, a week later, I think we got our phase one and uh, I let him know. And I like, I think a month or two later, we signed the phase two. So here we are, March of 2020. I'm getting ready to fly from Dallas down to South by Southwest to AFWorks to pitch built um, for a phase two. And this is where I got, you got to give AFWorks and the Air Force, you know, big kudos. They were able to, as the, as the planet is shutting down, they chose not to shut down that whole evolution. They, they continued and pivoted like 24, 48 hours to where I pitched on the phone, no slides. And uh, very grateful, you know, that they did that. Yeah. Why, what, what would the easy button have been? We're yeah, not going to shut it, it down. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to do it. So, so we pitched there and I'm grateful for, again, our sponsor was got on the phone with me and he said, I believe Built has the potential, has the potential <laughs> to be in the hands of every maintainer in the Air Force. It, it basically, it's good technology and we should take a hard look at it and let's experiment and iterate through a phase two you know, using these RDT&E funds uh, for research to see if, if, you know, if there's something there. So that's how we got started with the Air Force and uh, very, very grateful. Um, we're in the TACFI funding period right now. Um, and we're working with one of the major commands in the Air Force. And so it's, it's not everywhere, but um, you know, I've been proactive to get out. I was just at the Lifecycle Management Industry Days uh, to any entrepreneur that, would like to, um, you know, get in front of some important people. Uh, make sure you have that event uh, held in Dayton uh, every year. Uh, it didn't happen during the during COVID, but uh, and then of course you got to find commands that want to work with you as well. So one well, and can you kind of provide a little just background or a little color to the life cycle management, like what what that is historically done and, and why it's so important to know those people in the life cycle management um, area. So I'm, um, so I'm not an air force guy. Uh, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I, but I, uh, I, you know, in a joint environment, uh, you always want the air force logistics folks setting up your stuff. They always bring really great stuff. And so, you know, I've always been appreciative of the air force, you know, pilots and, and you know, it's just incredible, um, what the air force does. Um, I had the opportunity to work with the Air Force. I was an adjunct professor for 13 years at uh, USAFSOS, United States Air Force Special Operations School. Uh, and kind of during the crush, about 13 years, uh, and in between, I had to go for a couple of deployments. But I got to be affiliated with that squad. So I've really grown fond of uh, the Air Force and, uh, and, and, and the things that they do for our, our, our joint force. And, uh, and so... So that's kind of how I know the Air Force, right? I, so some of these yeah. things for me, I really, you know, I, I really feel for companies that have never touched the Department of Defense and they don't know their way around. I mean, I, I've been around the military 30 years now, uh, both active and in reserve time. And uh, I, I, I still don't know everything. I mean, it's like there's so, it's yeah. like you hear something, you're like, oh, uh, you know, I served the Pentagon for a year and you, know, you could be in one side of the building and you listen to things. You're, oh, I understand every acronym in that meeting. And then you go to another yeah. side and you'll hear acronyms. You know, I have no idea what they just said. Um, it, it, it might be the same acronym sometimes too. Yes, right. <laughs> it just changed the acronym. It's like a synonym acronym, right? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it, 
So, so, so I guess what I'm saying is it's a challenging environment for uh, small companies and startups um, to, to, to sell into. And so the Department of Defense has to make it easier. If they want these innovations, they've got to, uh, you know, in the commercial sector, we call it make the customer experience, make it effortless. Uh, now, there has to be, yeah. can't be completely effortless. There has to be some due diligence, but but it's too complicated right now. And and so I'm grateful that I had a little bit of exposure to the Air Force as I was starting to, you know, on the commercial side, work with them. Uh, Air Force Lifecycle Management Center is a very important, uh, I believe, three-star command under Air Force Material Command, a four-star command at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And this is where many of the program executive offices, uh, offices, uh, program executive offices are for the program executive officers that control the funding uh, for everything. You know, AFWorks prides itself on, hey, look, you that prides itself. They tell us, you're going to go through phase one and phase two, but we need you to get to phase three. And phase three means other people's money. Where's this money? Well, the program executive offices have the money. And so this it becomes this marriage between you need to find a customer somewhere and then you need to find funding somewhere. And every MAGCOM and, and, and customer typically has a funding line back to some program office. And that, you know, that took a while to figure out and um, and meet those people. It, it was exacerbated by COVID. COVID really, you know, was a challenge. You know, the Air Force, like many of the services, many people work from home and uh, it was tough. And so I'm grateful. I feel like I've been on the road almost every week, you know, since June. But things have opened back up. It's great. People want to see each other. People want to talk. Um, and so you need to create that connective tissue with the people that like your stuff as an entrepreneur to also finding those people who can help pay for it and make it a program. And it's still a fight. Like, you know, you're fighting for budget and what are you going to give up for something else? And it's a lot of work. It's not easy. Um, It's it's, so it takes time. What's that? Well, and the horizon, oh, and the horizon is a lot longer. So you're talking, Hey, we're talking Sivers 12 to 18 months. But like material command and life cycle management is thinking, I mean, 2024 fiscal year budget is probably closed out right now. They're already looking at 2025. And so if if you're a small business who says like, hey, my Cibber 2 is going great. I want to become a Cibber 3. And I, okay, now I'm going to start talking to PEO and life cycle command because I want to get into one of these F-35 programs yep. or the next thing coming out. You're talking two, three, four years down the yep. road before you actually get built into one of those, one of those life cycle funds. So that's where you know the TAC fies, the strat fies, you know, getting the commercial Cyber three, but just not as full scale as a PEO yeah. office uh, is where that stuff comes in. Yeah, it's very helpful. And I, I again, I you know, people still complain, you know, about certain things inside the AFWorks program, things like that. There's challenges, you know. I just got to say the people I've worked with have been incredible. They all are trying and, um, you know, you know, I've heard they're victims of their own success because they found and identified so many cool technologies. Um, some might work and others might not. And, you know, and they, they've told me this too, they don't have any power to compel people to give you a phase three and, and, and commit somebody else's budget. That's not, they don't have that authority, but they're going to try and help guide you. Um, and give you guidance to get there. Um, and, you know, um, you know, re- really grateful. I think the Air Force is probably the best of all the services. 
um, in innovation right now. And, you know, some people say, oh, you know, they're frustrated and they're mad at the Air Force. But I'm like, you know, you tried dealing with some of the other services. It's very challenging. And uh, um, and I, this commercial solution opening is just, I think it was the game changer for at least bringing a lot of it in. So they've saw, Air Force solved, I think, a getting you in piece, but now getting that to the next level uh, and I think this is why they're trying to get at get after PPB&E reform, because otherwise people are like, okay, I'll become a cibber mill. You've heard of these cibber mill companies, right? They just live yeah. off cibbers forever. It's kind of crazy. But they do that because the way the system is. Um, and that's not yeah. that was not the intent of the of the of the cibbers. Um uh, and um and then there's really good stuff we need and, and people know we need it, but you just can't get through. Um, because, you know, sometimes the easy button is, well, I'll just go with the known company that's been doing it forever. Um, well, and a lot of those companies just become so knowledgeable of the process that they're very good at doing it. You know, these people who've been working with the PPB and E for so long, which do you know what the, the acronym PPB is? We use it. Planning. Planning something, budgeting and execution. I can't remember the other P, but, right. but it's good enough for me. Yeah. Yeah. But the, uh, but you know, we, our solution, it, it's a good start is let's innovate around some of these rigid structures that have sadly been built for us. But then while we work around them, we have to renovate those structures. Yep. So they're more applicable. We can't just in perpetuity you know, operate around the structures for us. We have to change that to work in today's environment. Yeah. And I, and I know, um, you know, you can Google and there's articles on PPB and E reform, uh, you know, recently retired major general Cameron Holt, who was head of contracting the air force. I mean, he's talked a lot about this. How do we, how do we change and innovate so we can get after, you know, um, you know, the business of the day, protecting the nation and, you know, addressing those threats that are out there. Um, that are, you know, you open the internet and read any news source and they stare at you every day. And we have to go faster because um, our adversaries don't have these challenges. Um, you know, they have challenges. I mean, it's not, it's not easy, but everything. But, but, but many of the things that we face that we shouldn't have to deal with, uh, they don't have to deal with at all when it comes to innovating. You know, our adversaries have no problem stealing Um and then, you know, incorporating it in very quickly and throwing dollars after it and just cutting through whatever, all this red tape that we have, you know, they just say, make it happen. And again, I'm not saying it's hundred percent easy, you know, um, but still they're moving faster. So we can do better. I think people understand that and they're trying and, you know, Congress has a role to play in this. They got to, they got to make some changes. They got to apply pressure um, where the pressure needs, um, uh, to be to be placed, and um, a lot of smart people. People know how to fix this too. I mean, I, that's, so we, we just need to get the right people together and, and make this happen. Um, it's important. Well, and I think, yeah, and I think some of it is, you know, the funds are at the end of the day congressionally allocated. You know, so so even if we want to change the PPP and E or or keep funding SIBRs, the reality is like that only happens if that money is allocated to be to be used in that way. Um, and I think one of the, one of the things, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's the reality of it, of the Cibber one to Cibber two to Cibber three. I mean, the, 
there's going to be fall off of companies. Not every company is going to go from a super one to a super three because that's the whole point. Like the cream rises to the top and then you take your, your best products end up, hopefully your best products end up being that company that becomes the new prime or something like that. When, uh, so we talked a little bit before about, or do you want to talk about the, uh, helmet that you are kind of working alongside with, or, or you want to um, do that or no? Yeah. You know, it's really cool. Um, this is a cool story. Um, there's a, a company called Lift Airborne and, uh, they won an AFWorks challenge and, uh, you know, innovative, former active duty, now reservist pilots, um, that to your point, you know, we're dealing with old technology. Um, we want something better. And they recently, uh, they won this Africa challenge. They created a, you know, their minimum viable product. And, and then they actually won a full contract uh, with the Air Force. And uh, that's pretty cool. And one day, um, uh, one of the inventors of this new helmet, uh, they purchased a product uh, commercially. I think it was a barnyard sliding door that needed to be installed. Uh, and lo and behold, that was one of the brands on built. And the wife said to her husband, who's the uh, the pilot, Air Force pilot, said, look at this. I think I'm telling the story right. Um, and 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 they said, oh, this is cool. And he did some research, found out we were also an AFWorks company. And uh, we contacted each other. And I think it was, it was, I think it was days, it might've been a weekend. I can't remember, but it was pretty quick. We got together and... We said, yeah, we'd love to work with you. Uh, let's get after it. And uh, so now we're supporting them uh, and just providing the 3D interactive instructions uh, for this uh, uh, for this uh, new helmet. So we're excited to help them. This is a, an example of two AFWorks companies um, actually collaborating together to make something that is going to support uh, uh, the Air Force. So... Well, and I think that's that good story. because we, yeah, we need to kind of leverage the companies in the space, especially when they're not competing companies, when they have combined interests where it's, hey, if we can get this to the end user, we both win here. Yeah, that helmet, it's funny because, you know, like you said, the Air Force always has like the, the good stuff, you know, the Gucci <laughs> stuff, if you will. And uh, so I obviously flew F-16s. And um, this standard helmet that I got issued back in 2011 uh, had a mask on it. And I wore the mask and it was the side breathing. So if anybody kind of knows their way around uh, aircrew flight equipment masks, the old mask was the one you would see in Top Gun. That yeah. the oxygen hose comes out the front of the uh, mask rather than the side. And then you kind of have your kind of pressure relief and all that. So that's the mask I'm used to. I get a backseat ride in in, uh, in a Growler, mm. so uh, EA18G, uh, and uh, it's it's nice. I mean, this thing is Gucci. It's got everything you can want. And I was like, man, I'm so jealous, you know? And they're like, just borrow one of our helmets uh, to fly. I was like, all right, that's fine. And sure enough, I borrow one of their helmets, and it's an old mask on my face, and it is just crushing the bridge of my nose. And I was like, oh, man, I, I didn't even realize that other people were just like dealing with this old mask still that I thought was like a relic, you know, and, and the reality is like the Navy was still using it. So it's it's not that the, you know, the masks have changed, but the helmet itself is is still something uh, that that can change. And looking at lifts kind of uh, 
their mock-ups and everything for it. It looks like that helmet could be great because it's it's all in one. You know, it's your your NVG helmet, it's your Jehemix or your joint helmet helmet mounted queuing system. Uh, it's going to be that. It'll be everything you want it to be, uh, and that's that's what we want. Rather than right now, I have two helmets sitting in my locker. One is my Jehemix, and uh, it's heavy. And you have like a shelf up here. So if you ever try to look up, mm. you just get blocked. And you're like, well, I can't see the bad guy now because my Jehemix is in the way. <laughs> uh, or you wear your 55P, the smaller one, without that. But it doesn't have all the nice stuff that the jet information kind of gets displayed on your face. Uh, so so I'm, I'm excited about that because that's, that's a very real feedback and change for the end users because... They said, this is a problem set. Let's fix it. And they're fixing it. Yep. And then good things are happening. Yeah. It's, you know, and what I love also, the you know, the Air Force has created these spark tanks all over the Air Force, um, yep. creating that culture of, you know, hey, you got an idea, come in um, at the base level and, and empowering airmen um, to think outside the box to try and f- come up with solutions. And uh and that's pretty cool. And I know there's this balance, right? You know, and you got to follow the TO. And if you don't, it's that's a UCMJ violation and someone could get hurt, right? I mean, we, we there's that aspect. But but if you can create a safe space where you can tinker, where no one will get hurt and and iterate and then get buy-in, um, it's, that's pretty cool. I've read a few uh, instances of things, you know, airmen, 19-year-old airmen, you know, saves, you know, Navy, you know Air Force $7 million on something, right? I mean, Things like that. that. That's cool. And we know, and that's one of the great things about Built. We have a feedback mechanism in there at the end of each job to be done where you can leave feedback. And then a frontline leader, program manager uh, can log in and see all this feedback. So, for example, if we create a particular uh, instruction set tied to a job to be done and there's people in 30 locations around the world that are using that instruction set on the Built app, on their command managed mobile device, right? Um, all of a sudden, you now have 30 people and you know 30 different bases, right? Giving feedback, and you're sitting there, right, Pat, or, or wherever, uh, and you see all this feedback, and it's like, huh? I've never, I didn't, we didn't know that, and everyone's having the same issue. Step four is tripping everybody up, and there's the data. I can see the data. And they're giving us feedback on what they recommend to fix it. And because Built is cloud hosted, we can go back in, work with uh, whoever and and make an adjustment and publish an adjustment to that instruction um, and push it out rather than saying we're going to reprint a manual and we're going to mail it out to all the different sites. That's expensive. That's dinosaur days. We don't do that. There's no need to do that anymore. Um, there are like going to be like seven billion dollar mobile devices. They say uh, uh, by twenty twenty five. You know it's some of the data that's out there, and that's more than there are people on the planet. I mean, we t- we are a mobile people, and we've got to introduce. We've got to get people the tools um, to get things done and, and to go faster because uh, it's important. And I think. The, the thing that I think is such a, a big change, because anybody who's used, um, you know, any sort of tech order or any sort of instructions to build anything, that having a different perspective can in, be enlightening to the point where you understand it more. And I think innovation is, you know, seeing a problem and then making a solution. 
And I think what the Air Force initially did was, we have a problem. We have too many paper pubs. We have to replace them all the time. Let's innovate and make this better. And built is like the nine level, the, the best solution. What they initially started out with was, I'm going to take a paper product and it's now going to be a PDF and it's going to be digital. And you're like, well, that's, that's nice, but that doesn't really help me use the TO, implement the TO. It's just not a piece of paper anymore. We're built. It changes the way they actually interact with the TOs and the instructions. So one of the things, um, just, just to clarify for everyone out there that's listening, um, we are not replacing the technical order, right? I mean, there needs yeah. to be an authoritative document that ties back to manufacturer. And that, that can be a PDF stored somewhere, right? Uh, but, you know, a thousand page technical order, maybe the, t- the, the maintainers only use 50 pages of it with any regularity, right? So our job is to kind of look at the, the pieces they use and actually the technical order system, the, the, there's a 150 page document that manages, that explains what the technical order system is. I skimmed it. I had someone else read it for me. <laughs> I didn't want to read the whole thing. Um, yeah. And, you know, basically what it comes down to is built is classified as an e-tool. So we don't replace the tech order, but we are an e-tool to help the, them do their job. So just like a maintainer might have a bag of tools, right, for their particular whatever job to be done that they've been trained for and trained for in their AFSC code uh, job, a built's just another tool now in their toolbox that helps them do their job. And, you know, and, 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 you know, if they ever need to reference that tech board, they should, they absolutely should. I mean, I mean, we're not telling them not to, but if there are certain pieces that, um, you know, we can help with and enhance and make it safer and faster to help increase readiness um, and increase the learning curve. And not only that, multifunctional airmen, you know, cross training them to do things because it's so visual and it's so interactive. I mean, you, you look at this stuff and, you know, you might say to yourself, uh, you know, I didn't think I could ever do a boresight alignment, but I'm looking here and that look, I can do that. No problem. It's very, very clear. Um, yeah. And um, so we're excited to, 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 to start this process and, and do more. Um, and one of the things I've heard is, oh, that'll take forever. It'll cost for too much. And I'm like, well, look, here's the deal. How long is it going to take to digitize the entire DOD? It'll take decades. Um, there's a Go Green initiative, reduce paper. Built helps with that. Because how about you just not print those in paper anymore, but keep it 2D PDF and store it somewhere and you can reference it when you need it. And then you have, um, and also the uh, digitizing of, 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 the, of the government. So there's these two things, how do you, digitizing and uh, going green. Built helps with all that. Uh, that that's just, you know, kind of, pieces of an overarching mandate that all the services have been told to, to work on. And, um, um, you know, we'll, we'll start, give us your low hanging fruit. What's your pain points? So if you have 10,000 instructions you need done, well, tell us the first thousand that you want to start with. And over time we'll get them done. It, it, you know, it's, it's yeah. not an overnight thing. And the good thing is they will all be cloud hosted some point you know you'll have it so we can go back in and, and touch them and adjust them one and i don't know if i don't know if uh maintenance does the same thing so pilots uh which new pilots you know now i'm the old guy you know i've even got some gray gray in this beard uh but the the pilots what we would have it's called a page count and literally 
I mean, imagine a bigger waste of time of a squadron of fighter pilots, but every pilot grabs all of their paper pumps and uh, they sit down in a room together. And one guy who's already gone through every single page of his publications to make sure every page is there because there's page, you know, C10, C10.1 and C10.2. But if you're the only one and you just see C10 and C11, you don't realize that 10.1 and 10.2 should be. Wow. So you have a, yeah, so you have a squadron full of pilots sitting there and then they go, page one, change four. (laughs) Page two, change three. And you literally go through and he reads every single page and every pilot's like, oh, wait, I'm missing page, you know, seven. I have change two instead of change six. And this was every quarter. Maybe every six months, but we would do this. So we're not only talking about saving paper. We are saving hours and hours and hours of time just ensuring the publication is accurate to the digital source document where now you're saying, leave it as a PDF, no more page counts. It's just a new PDF will drop and a new cloud-based uh, you know, e-tool will show up. And it's accurate. Why? Because we built it accurate and we don't have to worry about a page getting ripped out one random day. Yeah, and and you know, and you know, we'll tailor, you know, this to what you need, right? Um, again, it, there are some places where in the three D interactive instruction, you, we have the PDF right there, so you can click and reference the PDF, blow it up, two D, and then you can move into the three D and play it there as well. So, um, and I think there's the interactive nature of it because again, every every platform has a uh, it's called a dash one checklist. So it's your chapter three of a dash one is the emergencies. So abnormal procedures and every pilot has that in the plane with it. And then an abnormal procedure happens. And then you flip to the page and you're just going through a PDF now. So it, it used to be paper. Now it's digital, but making those better, making them more user-friendly for a person, especially single seat, who's, I have to fly an airplane mm-hmm. I have to, or follow someone else who has the emergency while referencing these checklists, while doing them correctly in the steps, and then making sure I don't run into other people or yeah. violate airspace or, you know, all those things like having a useful e-tool or checklist mm-hmm. that you can reference is, I mean, there's so many uses. Like, you you, you know, people have told you before, yeah. there, there are definitely some spaces for them. We'd love to help. I mean, I, again, we don't know everything about everything, uh, obviously. I mean, there's, there's you, you know, an F-16 and what you're working on and flying. I mean, that's a, it's very important to do that right. But, you know, we have the tool. It's available. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're excited to sit down with, you know, the different customers in the Air Force and, Discuss with them how we can how we can support their operations with this with this e tool, and we know there'll be things that it maybe won't make sense to do, but I think there's enough out there that, you know, if we can impact let's say fifty percent of everything out there, is that enough to move the readiness needle, you know, percentage points? Um, it is it worth it then? You know, I think it is. Um, so well, and when you when you're talking about working with. I mean, multi-million dollar machines, you know, like a B2. If someone does maintenance wrong on a B2 because they didn't understand the tech order and it crashes, that's what, $2 billion. So that's the thing where it's very, very quickly with those kind of machines, can the price tag become uh, very uh, noticeable of like, hey, this much money saved. I mean, perfect example is, uh, at least in the F-16, 
the all of the covers for all of the uh, static and dynamic air, uh, like pitot tubes and all the stuff that tells the jet how high it is, how fast it is. One of the maintainers was like, hey, let's connect them all with a cable. Because sure enough, one got left on and it got sucked down a motor and it's like a $4 million motor. And you're like, right there, if we just save one motor, we save the Air Force $4 million. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's an easy one. What's uh, with the green initiative stuff? That's that's a DOD thing because I hadn't really heard yeah, of it. Yeah, um, I mean, you can go online. You can see there's been several, um, you know, multiple places where, uh, you know, the government says we need to reduce our carbon footprint, right? And, and we there's a, there's a government paper work reduction act, right? And filling out forms. So, so this is just a general thing where, why we just need to digitize things more. It's a general trend across the federal government. It's been going on for quite a while now. So, um, you know, I think it just it plays into, um, you know, one of the ancillary benefits of built. You know, our, our, our yeah. core uh, focus is to, number one, help improve the experience of an individual who has to do some kind of, uh, you know, procedure and help them through that, make it faster, safer, quicker, uh, increased knowledge acquisition, uh, or speed it up. But then we also, because they're digital, you know, do you really need to print the manual anymore? As opposed to, hey, now we just have a 2D PDF library reference where it sits as opposed to having to print it out. I, you know, it may be for a lot of things you don't ever have to print again. It may be for some things you still need to print. Um, years ago, I was out at the Wright Patterson at Air Force Research Lab and I was talking to someone and they said, just in conversation, they were telling me how many manuals are on a C-17 and the weight of those manuals. Now, I, I just, this was the conversation. They said, yeah, you know, if we could get rid of all those manuals on a C-17 um, and you replace them with, you know, everything kind of digitized and, you know, maybe three or four for redundancy, uh, um, you know, uh, um, notepads or, or iPads or, or whatever device you're using, that actually reduces weight. You could save fuel. Now, not a pilot. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know at what yeah. point you have to, um, how many, how much weight, you know, that you really save, you know, but it, it, I guess it was an interesting conversation and they brought that up. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, speaking from personal experience, I obviously I've never flown the C-17, but so we're talking C-17 is a massive airplane, probably even more publications, uh, but single seat, small F-16 cockpit. And they say, hey, you are going to fly from wherever. I'm going to fly from South Carolina to uh, Lodges, which is like off the coast of uh, Portugal. And so they say, here's two Ziploc bags full of paper publications. <laughs> Because you need every paper publication from where you currently are mm. all the way to across the Atlantic to the other side where you're going to land. And they're like, all right, so keep track of these because this is what you got. And then in, we always call it building your nest. You're literally like, okay, I'm going to put a paper up here and I'm going to put a book up <laughs> there. And they're literally like sitting all around oh the cockpit. Gosh. And you're like, <laughs> oh yeah, but this was what we would do. We would literally have like, okay, that is for the next leg. I won't need any of those pubs. Throw them in the travel pod. That's outside of the cockpit. Mm. The rest of them are sitting around me. And then it's just by the time you get there, it's like empty Snickers wrappers <laughs> and piddle packs and papers like strewn about because you've ripped them out because you were so busy and you yeah. accident. So yeah, the digitization of stuff 
is yeah. awesome. And the next step beyond is we move from PDFs to something more user-friendly and more helpful. Uh, if, if you have kind of a, a parting shot or any sort of knowledge that you've learned before we get out of here, what would you kind of uh, say to your fellow innovators in the in the SIPR space and DOD innovation? Um, it just takes persistence. It's, 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 it's rarely do you get it, rarely does it all align and it happens very quickly. Um, you hear about those every now and then. Um, don't get discouraged. I mean, it just takes time and, and, and find some help. Um, I've reached out and gotten help, consultants, people who understand this way better than I do. Um, and so, uh, if, you know, try and get it validated, number one. If people, people validate that, hey, yeah, this could be used, then get some help. Um, if you don't already have that help on staff, because it's it's just very difficult to navigate, um, and and then get out there, uh, find out the events to be at. Uh, we're going to be at the Air Force Association uh, show coming up. Um, we were just at Lifecycle Industry Days. We'll be at the DoD Logistics Symposium again uh, for the Army. We'll be at AUSA um, that's coming up. And you have to get out there uh, and meet folks, and especially for those companies that don't have you know, strong ties already to the military, you, you just, you, you've got to create those ties. And uh, so it, it, it's not yeah. without its challenges. You've got to have the resources to do that. And, uh, but, um, you know, it's, uh, don't give up. I mean, <laughs> you know, you think of Alexander Graham Bell, you know, how many, how many times did he, you know, sit in his, his lab and, uh, you know, iterate, and fail and iterate and fail. I mean, it's kind of one of the famous innovation stories that's used over and over, but it just, it just takes time. I, everybody, yeah. good luck. We, you know, we, our country needs uh, the good innovation that you're creating and don't give up. Yeah. Well, uh, hopefully I'll be at some of those uh, events this, uh, this next year, once I get to this uh, C model TX, but uh, if people want to reach out and uh, talk to you about Built or just kind of say thank you for serving the country for 30 years, uh, how would you want them to do that? Um, uh, they can they can just reach out to us. Uh, find me on LinkedIn. Um, it's a really easy way to uh, uh, to get me. And I respond. I check LinkedIn all the time. Um, so I'd say that's probably the fastest and easiest way to get me. Um, you can also hit us up on the website. We, had, we just have a little message thing there. You can... Uh, just go in there and say, "Hey, I saw your podcast. Would love to. I'd love to chat with uh, Ahmed, um, uh, and and that will just get sent to me. Um, so we're yeah, happy to happy to talk to anyone, um, and uh, we're, we're happy to help anyone who has a need of you know three D interactive instructions. Uh, I think we can support you in that way. Or if you just have some questions on innovation and how to navigate, I'm always happy to help uh, out an, another entrepreneur you know, with any contacts that I have uh, that I've developed over the last couple of years." Uh, we got to speed this up. So yeah, I couldn't yeah, we agree more. Well, and uh, everybody, you can contact us at info at kodiakshack.com. Check out our website, kodiakshack.com. Uh, we should have, by the time this airs, uh, rolled out our testimonials. So you can see some of the good stuff that's happened for companies that have come on the show. Uh, if you'd like to join us on the show, everyone, please like and subscribe and uh, share all this uh, content because uh, the only way we kind of get the word out is by uh, telling our friends. So uh, Ahmed, thanks again for being on. I really appreciate you taking Thank the time. Thank you, Vader. To you and Bender. Bye, everybody.